I want to welcome everybody joining us in the service online. Uh, today I stand before you with a sobering sense of compassion and empathy and concern. I am deeply distressed and disturbed by what has happened in our country, by the injustice faced by Mr. Floyd, uh, and, and the understandable uh, outrage in the aftermath. I'm also disappointed, if I could be honest, with some followers of Jesus and how they've responded to all of this in the face of injustice, human suffering, and the understandable emotions of so many of our neighbors. And I am going to say something about it. Now, we have been studying through a letter written by Jesus' half-brother called James. And James became a key leader in the early church. And today, in the portion of the letter we're going to look at and study today, we're going to hear some tough words from James. Because in this portion of his letter, he rises up and he confronts injustices in his day. And I think through his words, he's going to give us some guidance. He's going to give us some understanding and compassion as we go through this season uh, as Americans. I think he's also going to give us guidance on how to respond in times like these. And I think he's pointing out, he's going to point out today an aspect of the movement that his half-brother started that I think is often overlooked by many church leaders and at times even myself. And so I want to say to those of you who are new to church, uh, I welcome you to explore our faith in Jesus and I'm glad you've decided to do so by joining City Church today. And over the next 25 minutes or so, I want to unpack some of these tough words spoken by Jesus' half-brother and I think that in them, you're going to get a sense of the compassion of Jesus' movement. And I want, to, I want to say to those of you who have been followers of Jesus maybe for many years, you're going to hear some words today that maybe you don't read often in the scriptures. But there's some words of what I would call righteous indignation. Angry outcries against injustice by Jesus' half-brother. And I'm asking you as we look at these uh, this part of his letter today to keep an open mind and an open heart because I see in you the ability to rise up in the midst of even challenging times like these to do something good to make this world a better place. And so we're, we're going to be looking at James's words and the guidance he gave the church, but I want to begin by getting a sense of why James was so passionate about what he's getting ready to say about the injustices he saw in his day. You see, they all come from his brother, Jesus. You see, when Jesus began the movement, he called the church. He had a message burning in his soul. And one of the very first messages, one of the very first sermons he ever preached publicly, Luke records in Luke chapter 4, and it's very interesting because it's a message is not about love. It's a message that's not about forgiveness. It's not about how to get eternal life. It's not about sin. It's not about money. Instead, one of the very first sermons Jesus ever preached called out for justice for those who are oppressed. And so let me set the scene 
Uh, Jesus has gone to a local synagogue and the Jewish scriptures were recorded in scrolls. And so he unfolded the scrolls and that week they were looking at the words of the Jewish prophet Isaiah. And Jesus pointed to a certain part of Isaiah's prophecies. And then he spoke these words. This is Luke chapter four, verse 18. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And that's how teachers taught in that day. They sat down to teach. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus read that prophecy, and it's very clear, he was saying, I'm the one who's here to fulfill this prophecy. He was telling the people, I am here to start a new thing. Jesus came to start a movement that would change people's hearts so we would change this world. And Jesus makes it very clear that a critical part of his movement is to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And those two characteristics often go together. And I, wanna, I want us to unpack the words of Isaiah that Jesus said were being prophesied about him so that we really understand this part of Jesus' movement. So when Jesus speaks about freedom for the prisoners, he's talking about prisoners who are in debtors' prisons. You see, throughout human history, there were no banks that you could get loans from. So if you were a poorer person, whether a farmer or a small business person, and if you needed a loan, you, you got money from a wealthy person. And if you got to the point where you could not pay back the loan, that wealthy person could have you thrown in what is called a debtor's prison until somebody paid off your debt. And folks, that is oppression. When Jesus talks about recovery of sight for the blind, He's talking about how, especially in his day, physical handicap often left, led to poverty and to marginalization in society. Because normally those people, they, they couldn't get jobs, and so they had to beg for money. And it was just a very marginalized position to be in society. And so when Jesus healed a blind person, not only did that person experience a restoration physically, they experienced a restoration financially. Now they were able to get a job and make a living. And when Jesus talked about setting the oppressed free, he's talking about how the wealthy in his day would use their wealth to manipulate and to oftentimes oppress the poor classes of people. And when Jesus said today, this scripture is filled in your presence, he's saying, I am here to do something about this oppression and this injustice. And when Jesus started this movement, we do know that it was a movement to give us eternal life forever, an abundant life here and now, to help us find freedom uh, from sins that weigh us down and from habits that wreck our lives. And we do know that Jesus came to inspire us to live our purpose, but according to Jesus, he also came to call out injustice 
and to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And I'm concerned that the church too often has have neglected this part of Jesus' movement. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the church is here to help people who feel lost to begin a relationship with God through their faith in Jesus. And I do believe the church is here to help people find freedom from hurts and habits and hangups that can wreck their lives. And I do believe, <laughs> I do believe Jesus' movement is meant to inspire people to live their purpose. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He was talking about living your purpose, even self-sacrificially living your purpose. But there's another aspect of his movement that he's talking about here. And that is bringing good news to the poor and the oppressed. We must get this aspect of Jesus' movement. As a church, city church, we must get this. When Jesus saw poverty, when he saw oppression, when he saw injustice, it wrecked him. And Jesus wants what wrecks him to wreck us. Does injustice and poverty and oppression wreck you? Folks, I've been very disappointed, if I could be honest, with some of the social media posts that I've seen uh, posted by people who call themselves followers of Jesus. I've been shocked by the gruesomeness of Mr. Floyd's injustice and the death that he faced. And if I could be honest, I understand the anger and the outrage that has come from those who are also shocked by what happened to him. And some of the social posts I've seen, they've been con convicting, they've been compelling, and honestly, I'm grateful for them. They're helping the dialogue. But there's, seen, there's some of the posts that I've seen that make me think some people don't get it. Every person of color I know has been deeply and painfully wounded by what happened to Mr. Floyd. And I think rightfully so. It ought to wreck us. I hope it wrecks you. And what I want to talk with you about now is what do you do about what's wrecking us? And that's where James's words, I think, are so important. Because what we're going to look at in, in this portion of James's letter, he's going to speak with righteous indignation. He's going to speak with some anger and some outrage against the injustices that he sees in his day. But he also, it's so important, he also gives a word of guidance to tell us how to respond to the injustices that we feel so strongly about. All right, you ready? So let me, let me, let me set up the background because I, I think me giving you this background will help you understand the words that he actually says in his day. So in the first century Roman Empire, the vast majority of the wealth in their culture was controlled by a very small percentage of people. There were basically three classes of people. There, were, there was the vast majority of people that were the poorer classes. They were tenant farmers. They, they ran small businesses, stuff like that. But then there were two upper classes that were more wealthy. There was the merchant class who made their money by traveling and trading products. And then there was the aristocracy. These were the ultra wealthy who owned most of the land throughout the Roman Empire, and they made their money through tenant farming. 
Sort of like if you ever saw Downton Abbey, you know, that's how it worked there. Anyway, the issue in the first century was this very small percentage of people controlled the vast majority of the wealth. And they often did so in ways that either neglected the poor and the needy and the marginalized or actually oppressed them. And so James speaks to both classes of people in his day and within the church. He begins by speaking to the merchant class. Are you ready? Uh, This is James 4, verse 13, where James writes, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. So James here basically confronts these traveling businessmen for living with a sense of arrogance and not really thinking about God's will for their lives and for their monies. But let's be clear what James is saying here and what he is not saying. James is not saying, well, don't make plans. If you make any plans, well, you're not living by faith. That is not what he says. In fact, there's other places in the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures where it talks about the wisdom of making plans in life. He is also not saying don't develop successful businesses. He's not fighting successful businesses. In fact, we know that successful business people supported Jesus' ministry, supported the Apostle Paul's ministry, and supported the early church movement. What James does confront here is pursuing business, pursuing amassing wealth, but leaving God out of the picture. Because when you leave God out of the picture, you can become very self-absorbed. And you can either neglect those who are in need around you or actually end up oppressing them. And a part of rising up involves noticing. Noticing because when you have wealth, you have influence. And a part of rising up is noticing where you see injustice. In this case, James is talking about financial injustice. But there are other kinds of of injustice. There's racial injustice. There's gender injustice. And then, then, of course, there's just abuse that we see in society. Human trafficking. And what James is challenging these relatively wealthy merchants is to not just live their lives pursuing their business, making lots of money, and just ignoring what's going on around them. We got the picture? All right. Next, James turns his attention to the aristocracy, the the wealthy landowners. And this is what he writes to them. This is what he says to them. Uh, This is James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. That's what he calls the aristocracy, the rich people. Listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Okay, those are some tough words, aren't they? 
And again, I, I want us to be clear what James is saying and what he's not saying. James is not saying it's wrong to have riches. All of his imagery just points to the temporary nature of earthly riches. And he's not saying it's wrong to save money. In fact, throughout the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, they talk about the wisdom of saving money. What he is attacking, what he is you know, uh, speaking out against is hoarding wealth when there are so many people in need around you. You see, saving money is wise. Hoarding wealth is selfish. And hoarders, hoarders fail to recognize that ultimately God owns everything. Whatever a, a person of wealth has, it's only because God has allowed them to have it. And what James is challenging here, and I hope you noticed it, is it's evident that in his day, these wealthy landowners would have harvesters come through and harvest their fields and they wouldn't pay them. And it was almost like they were daring them to do something about it. Why? Because the wealthy had all of the political and legal power and clout in their culture. And that is abusive and it is oppressive. And James saw it. He saw the injustice of it and he rose up and he stood against it. That's what he stood up against in his day. I, I think if James, James was here today, he might stand up and say this. And so I'm gonna say a word to the business owners and the company executives. Pay your workers what you've agreed to pay them. Pay them on time and pay them a living wage. Give them a chance to get ahead. And when your company prospers, when you go through those seasons where your company prospers, let them share in the blessing. Recognize that people are your greatest asset. And for those executives who make policies and decisions, you know, I mean, I've seen companies where they let go 100 people and then they give their executives big bonuses for making these great decisions. Man, don't do that. Don't just make decisions with your pocketbook. Make decisions with your heart. Think about the people that you are leading. I think James might also say something to some parents. Parents who owe child support. I think James would say, if you owe child support, pay up. Do not torment your ex-spouse by withholding child support. When you do that, you abuse your own children. In the Lord's ear, he pays attention to the distress of children. And then for all of us who are followers of Jesus, we ought to be setting the standard by influencing whatever you know, business that we're in, wherever we work, and wherever we live in our communities, in our cities, in our schools. We ought to be setting the standard for rising up and standing against injustices, for noticing those who are in need, and for rising up and doing something about it. That's what James is talking about here. And then, and this is the most important principle, in, in, in between these two prophetic announcements, these, these two expressions of righteous indignation that clearly was wrecking James. He gives the guiding principle, maybe one of the most important guiding principles in, in the face of injustice in the church movement. Are you ready? This is James 4, 17, where he says, 
If anyone knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Can you say that with me? If anyone knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now here what James says is so important and so profound. You see, sins are not just wrong actions that you do. Sins are also good actions you never do. I'm going to say that again. Sins are not just wrong actions that you do. Sins are also good actions you never do. And what James is saying to us is if you have the power to do something good, if you have the influence to do something good, if you have the monies to do something good, rise up and do it. If you see something unjust happening, rise up and do something good about it. And that something good about it is also a critical part of what, what James is talking about. Because how many of you know that when you see something bad, sometimes what stirs within you is to respond to something bad by doing something bad. And when you respond to something bad by doing something bad, it just makes matters worse. And so on this point, I want to point to the, the wisdom and the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who certainly did a phenomenal job of rising up and standing against injustice in his day. But he knew, he knew as a wise leader, there's a right way to stand against injustice and a wrong way. And so he spoke these words. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can. And I would add, Violence cannot, cannot drive out violence. Only peace can. Injustice cannot drive out injustice. Only justice can. Evil cannot drive out evil. Only good can. And followers of Jesus, it is time. It is time for us to rise up and to be beacons of light in the darkness. It is time for us to rise up and be bearers of love where there is hatred. It is time for us to rise up and be instruments of peace, to be instruments of justice, to be instruments of goodness. That is what will make this world a better place. And so I want to speak a word, uh, a couple of words to you. I want to speak a word first to those of you maybe who have not really faced injustice. Uh, and maybe that's like me. I, I cannot say that I faced uh, at least racial injustice of any kind. And sometimes when you've not faced injustice, you don't understand the anger and the outrage that someone feels who has faced it. And so my prayer for all of us is that the Lord would give us eyes to see. That the Lord would give us ears to hear. And that he would give us hearts to feel compassion for our brothers and sisters who are facing injustice. And whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity to, to rise up in the face of injustice and to do something good, that we would have the courage, that we would have the faith to rise up and to do it. 
Because according to James, anyone who knows the good thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And so let us stop sinning and let us rise up and do the good thing. And I want to speak now to my brothers and sisters who maybe have faced injustice or are facing injustice. Know that my heart breaks with you and for you. And know that I believe your anger and your outrage is understandable. But I do ask you to respond to injustice in the right way. When you see the flames of injustice, when you see the destructive flames of injustice, don't try to douse it with a bucket of gas. Douse it with a bucket of water. Be a person who responds to something bad by pouring all over people and over our society something good. That is how you will make this world a better place. And I promise, in my little part of the movement Jesus started, I, I will do my best to keep injustice in front of us when we see it in our society. And I also say that I want to apologize for the seasons in church history, both in our country and around the world, when the church turned a blind eye to injustices in their culture and at times were even contributors to oppression and injustice in their culture. It is wrong, and I do ask for your forgiveness. And my prayer for you is that you would begin to heal from the pain of the injustices you have faced, knowing that Jesus understands because he faced injustice too. Though he did nothing wrong, he faced the unjust persecution of the people in power in his day. Though they had, he had done nothing wrong, Jesus experienced unjust arrest. Though they had done nothing wrong, Jesus faced un, an unjust conviction. And though he had done nothing wrong, Jesus was unjustly put to death. He gets it. If nobody else gets how you feel about your injustice, he does. Know that he is with you. Know that he is for you. And know that he loves you. And he can help you heal. And for all of us, the best way we can remember the injustices that Jesus experienced in life is to rise up and stand against injustices in our day in the right way. And that is what I'm asking all of us to do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that even as the Son of God, you did not live as a person of privilege. You rubbed shoulders with those who are marginalized, with those who are in need, with the poor, with the sick, with the outcasts. And it's one, it's one of the reasons I love you. It's one of the reasons I follow you, Lord. And so together, Lord, we ask you to give us hearts to feel what the marginalized feel. We ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And we ask you to give us courage and faith to rise up in our own unique ways 
to make this world the kind of world you want it to be. And then, Lord, I, I pray especially for my friends, for my brothers, for my sisters who have experienced the pain of injustice. I pray that through your spirit, you would draw near to them even now and that you would begin to heal the pain within their hearts and give them hope that this world can be a better place. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I, I hope this service, I know this has been different. This message has been different. But I hope it has given you vision and courage as we continue to face what we are facing in this country. And I believe the Lord will be with us as we rise up together. I'll see you next week.